RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy to have you here to listen to this thing we called a podcast. The answer to the question is, where were we last week? And that's the question. The answer is, $2,500 later, Jerry Petock has a brand new laptop. Jerry, you could have bought a car for that much money. Oh. <laughs> uh, his uh, his laptop took a bath. And, uh, Same day we were supposed to record. Yeah, so um, uh, when, you, when you're doing a podcast and uh, the whole, what did they call it, the motherboard? motherboard breaks or shorted, shorted. uh i i saw him put that up on uh, facebook uh and and about 10 o'clock in the morning and we were supposed to record it about four and i thought to myself uh this isn't sounding very productive but uh so i got a call and about an hour later i go let me guess so we missed you but we're back uh with another cool guest and another cool episode of city ringside um Cool, cool guest today. Um, if you're a history buff of, of of the history of this business and the territories and 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 uh, and and a lot of first, a lot of somebody that's done a lot of first in this business, a real creative mind, a great teacher. Uh, you're gonna love our guest this week, uh, Les Thatcher, who's also one of the nicest guys in the world. Uh, I know that we say that a lot, and I say it's overused, but you know when 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 it applies, it applies. So. Um, if you know, if you if you're a listener and you know somebody who loves wrestling history and loves to hear about, uh, you know the territory days and and uh, you know who who cr- came up with the first uh, ever wrestling T-shirt and what it was and uh, who came up with the first ever uh, uh, segment of to highlight a personality profile on a wrestling show or who attended the first ever pro wrestling school. Uh, those are just some of the few things that we uh, we cover in uh, this podcast, this episode coming up with Les Thatcher. So uh, if you know people who might dig that, who don't normally listen, uh, I'd appreciate it if you uh, you let them know. And um, uh, I think you're going to have a, a great, great, great history lesson and uh, by a great guy who uh, sounds just as good at almost 80 years old as, as he did when I met him 30 years ago. So Les Thatcher's coming up. Um, Got to point out because I'm not I'm not a big WWE guy. I I, I DVR it. I watch it. I fast forward through it. Um, I don't. We don't talk about it that much unless it's like the Royal Rumble or, or WrestleMania time, and it is going coming up to be WrestleMania time. But I got to tell you, um, they got somebody who 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 I respect um, as a, as a performer. Um, but was never a huge quote unquote fan of, and that's not any disrespect to this person. Just, you know, some people, you know, you, 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 you like better than others. Um, but he's been very successful. I'm talking about Randy Orton and the stuff he is doing now, uh, almost split personality stuff. Uh, and not like split personality in a Kaha way. The, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the stuff with edge and then the stuff with Matt Hardy, uh, is fantastic. Um, 
I give him total credit. I don't, I'm sure he didn't can't write it, but I give him total credit because he's the one out there performing it. And you almost you almost feel bad because he he seems to feel bad that he for some reason that I hope we'll find out down the road is uh, he, he he there's something in his head that's telling him to put his friends out of wrestling, whether that be uh, and we could you know we could guess whether that be that he doesn't want to see these guys get hurt so he's doing it for their own good uh or whether there's a more sinister motive i would guess the the former but uh but you never know um it's fascinating stuff to watch i sat and watched the first segment of of raw uh last week and was pretty much mesmerized and uh kudos to matt hardy too don't know what matt's doing uh the, the whole world thinks he's going to uh aew probably but it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't, quite frankly. And it wouldn't surprise me if he wasn't the Dark Order, uh, whoever, whatever the character is that they're building up for the Dark Order. And it wouldn't surprise me if he was. But um, just wanted to point out, you know, credit where credit's due. Great stuff by WWE. Great stuff with Randy Orton, Matt Hardy. Looking forward to seeing where it goes with Edge. Uh, and who who would have thought he'd ever come back? What a pop that was, man. Uh that that was uh, a pop like I, I haven't heard in a long time. Uh, so, so congratulations to him as well. We never really got to the Royal Rumble because of uh, issues with uh, scheduling and the internet and my oh, and life got in the way, as you say. So, uh, hey, let me know, by the way, if you might totally disagree with you. You may, you may think it's a dumb angle and, and you can't stand it. And uh, that's cool too. Uh, but let me know uh, your thoughts on... Twitter um, at David Penzer, all one word, D-A-V-I-D-P-E-N-Z-E-R. If you're not following me, come join me and uh, like to talk wrestling. We don't get into anything controversial. We just talk good old wrestling and people could ask me questions and uh, uh, I'm happy to to be of help. So join me on Twitter and uh, let me know your thoughts on Randy Orton and what he's doing right now. I am digging it. Uh, God, digging it, Jerry. That's like so 1970s i feel like i'm on an episode of welcome back cotter uh and everybody out there's going what the hell's welcome back cotter jesus i'm digging myself in a hole so um so i'm really liking that stuff aew this past week uh thought was a great show uh it's another one of those times when it would have been great to have dusty be able to see his kids uh in a packed building in atlanta uh uh, doing their stuff and and just you know some things are sad and we're going to talk in this episode in this uh episode with Les Thatcher about Brian Hildebrand and and that's a tragedy and somebody who was great but uh and we'll talk about him in more detail but uh just god I watched that episode and then I watched on on Twitter the post match interview that that Cody did and I, I just I said to myself, it's another time that you just wish that Dusty could have been in the back because he'd been glowing. He'd had, you know, that Dusty smile. He'd had the biggest smile on his face. Uh, so you got to hope that he's looking down and smiling from up there and seeing what's going on. So congratulations to AEW. Uh, the numbers uh, that came out, pretty much the same. I was surprised, actually, that the Democratic primary didn't affect them. So uh, they have a young demographic, but they didn't really even affect NXT. Uh, the p- numbers pretty are pretty much are what they are. It seems like every week uh, uh, AEW does 150 to 200,000 more viewers than NXT. I don't know how that goes over in Connecticut or in Orlando at full sale, but 
it's not the worst in the world. Uh, you know, everybody's, you know, they both got an audience and they both got a respectable audience. So that's what makes, uh, we've talked about it a lot. That's what makes competition and that's what makes this business better. So, but a good episode AEW. Haven't watched NXT yet as we taped this. Love the Randy Orton stuff and looking forward to the road to WrestleMania. It's getting interesting, folks. And of course, it's going to be right here in Tampa, Florida. And we talked about it last time. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. But if uh, if you're a fan of old school wrestling, championship wrestling from Florida, and you're going to be in town and you want to check out some really cool meet and greet and Q&A opportunities, go to www.wrestlexpo.com and click on the link that says Championship Florida, uh, from Florida Fan Fest. And... Um, Got some cool things, so I thought I'd drop that in. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a guy who knows a lot about a lot of things in this business, and I'm really looking forward to hearing his story and talking to him. I'm talking about Les Thatcher. Ladies and gentlemen, I've said this many times over the course of the last two years doing this podcast, and I know the word, I'm guilty of it now too, the word one of the nicest guys or one of the nicest people in the business gets thrown around a lot, Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, in a business with a lot of assholes, uh, yours truly probably included, uh, uh, this this next man is uh, my guest this week is truly one of the nicest guys in the business. He's one of the good ones, and I'm happy to talk to him. Uh, Les Thatcher, welcome to City Ringside. Pleasure to have you. Well, well thank you, David. But uh, can I join the assholes club, too? I mean, but, you're I, not, but you're not an asshole. You're the, I've never seen you be an asshole. Well, like, now, some of the kids that I've trained might disagree with you. But well, yeah, but... Yeah, that's that's I'm, a horse of another color. I'm sure, right? they, I'm sure they look back fondly on that. Well, you know, it's funny. The ones that have succeeded do, and the ones who put the work in probably have some negative things to say. Hey, it's pretty, you know, I I wanted to start at the beginning, but just off top, since you're mentioning training, it's pretty cool. Correct me if I'm wrong, but a guy that you trained, Cody Hawk, actually trained the guy who's uh, now one of the biggest stars in the business, John Moxley, who's Dean Ambrose, correct? Well, actually, I get part of the credit for that, too. Oh, so you both trained him. Yeah, well, uh, before I sold the company to Hawk, uh, uh, John had started uh, with me, actually. You know, he first, we ran uh, in Batavia, Ohio, which is uh, uh, a a little country town not far from uh, right outside of Cincinnati. We used to run there. uh, There's a flea market there. Right. And we used to run there, and John started coming to the matches there. And saw the banner, you know, Les Thatcher's made event pro wrestling camp and all that. Sure. So that's, you know, he started with me and well, same with Eli Drake, they both started with me. And then when I sold the company to uh, Hawk, uh, you know, they, they kind of went along with the deal. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I got a little responsibility for both those guys. That's pretty. That, that's when you know you've had a career is when a guy that you train train with the main trainer. I know you have a little bit of it of, of guys like Eli Drake and and Dean Ambrose, John Moxley. Uh, that's when you can look back and say I've done something right and uh, well deserved. Lest uh, well, you know, and another guy. If you watch NXT, uh, Nigel McGinnis, who to me love Nigel, is one of the best best young workers in the last twenty years. For Christ's sake, and of course health. Uh, cut his career short, but he started with me as well. 
Love Nigel. He, uh, yes. I, I'm so happy he's doing well. I saw him uh, last year, the, two years ago at WrestleMania. I was at the WWE bar after uh, the show with Dave Finley and his wife, uh, Mel. And um, I saw him, and we talked for about 20 minutes, and uh, – He's doing. He's very happy with what he's doing. I think he does a great job on NXT. And he said, you know, he was telling me, you know, and I'm sure it's different now, but he was telling me before, and I don't want to say the amount, but he was like, before I went to uh, NXT, WWE, I never made more than blank amount of money in a year on the indies. And it was actually a lot less than you would think and a hell of a lot less than what these guys are probably making now on the indies. So uh, just I'm glad his story ended well. And I forgot you trained him. And uh, uh, he's, he's another one of the nice guys in the business. We'll have to get yeah, on this you podcast. You know, there, there's a guy. I, I, he's uh, – I call him my unadopted son. There you right? go. Uh, we, we actually uh, – he helped me book a year-long tournament in Los Angeles back in 2012 and 13. And we've worked together on several projects, but you know, his career kind of parallels mine because obviously I started as a wrestler and then got into the television end and, you know, doing play by play and color and so forth. But, uh, what a brilliant, he's a, he's a brilliant guy, a brilliant mind. I got a br- great mind, but you know, when you, you, one of the things that you've heard all your life in this business as well as I have is paying your dues, right. And, and get putting in your time. And here's a guy who, you know, sometimes in this day and age, Dave, Kids will say, oh, uh, that school's, I'd have to drive an hour to get there or something. Realize Nigel uh, was going to school at, uh, in northern Ohio, going to college in, in uh, uh, Kent State in northern Ohio. And it sent uh, for a brochure to my place, and I sent it back to him. So anyway, he uh, came down to, to check the place out with a couple of his buddies, and, and you could just tell what a passion he had. He had no athletic background. He was just a huge wrestling fan. And we we got in the ring. And now, I'm I'm not like a lot of clowns. I don't try to bump or beat guys up who've never even been in a wrestling ring. It, that's not worthy. But And you could just tell he was standing in a wrestling ring, and it was like, wow, I was, I'm in a wrestling ring, right? And he said, you know, when I finish uh, uh, university, because he had another year, he was, <clears throat> excuse me, exchange student. He had another year back in England. He said, I'm coming to train with you. Dave, if I had a dollar for everybody said they were going sure. to train with me, I'd be living on a plantation <laughs> in Cuba or some damn thing, right? So I said, yeah, okay. But sure enough, you know, here he came. But the deal was he could only get six-month visas at a time. Right. And so six months, he had to go back to England, get a job, save his money, work to get that next visa. So it wasn't a continuous thing. And at that point... I know uh, after the first six months with me, when he went back, uh, he sent. We said, "I've been to a couple places. They call schools here, but I, honestly, I, I'm fearful of you know, like the one place didn't even have rings. Right? They were wrestling on the floor or something. So anyway, he wasn't getting um, you know any training there. So he had to make the trip across the Atlantic Ocean numerous times to finally." you know, to get a start. So when I hear some kids doesn't want to drive an hour, I thought, I mean, talk to Nigel McKinnis. Yeah, yeah, if you want exactly. to know what, what it's like to pay your dues. Yeah. I'm proud of him. Proud to have been a part of his career and tickled to death. You know, his big starring role. Now he's a father. 
Oh, he, yeah, he told me. He showed me pictures. Yeah, he, he was very proud of that. And uh, he, was, he was as happy as I've ever seen him. It's funny that you bring him up, and I, I, a thought popped in my mind. And, you know, as we, as we, as we get older, uh, you, know, you know, thoughts pop up every once in a while. And uh, I'll never forget, I was in TNA working as a ring announcer, and I got there early. Uh, for the production meeting, and Mike Tanay pulled me aside because me and Mike and Don West were tight. And Mike Tanay pulled me aside and said, "You'll never guess who's starting tonight." And I said, "Who?" Because Mike didn't get excited too often. He goes, "Nigel McGinnis," and we're strapping a rocket to his ass. And I was like, "No way! That's f- freaking great!" And he goes, "I go, I go. What do you mean by a rocket?" He goes, "He's doing an angle with Kurt Angle tonight as his for, as his debut." And I was, and that was when he was Desmond Wolf. But but uh, but yeah, it was uh, a hell of a match. We were, we were we were two two old veteran uh, announcers were marking out, thinking, you know, just knowing that Nigel was coming in getting a push. So uh, it's funny what pops in your head. Um, yeah. So I remember seeing that first match that he had with with Angle. Man, uh, talk about being proud. Yeah, that was. Uh, that was a great break. Of course, and like I say, and it, you know, the health took its shot. And uh, thank God he, well, you know, but he's such a talented guy. He has a college degree in chemistry to start with. That's crazy. But, you know, he made his own documentary. He edited the tapes and the films. Uh, he's, you know, he helped me. And when he helped me book that tournament in L.A. in 2012 and 13, it was, it, in a way it was kind of funny because it was like I was talking to myself. You know, right. and with, because I'm hearing things coming back. You, and you know, when you teach or when you're 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 trying to show somebody something, you're obviously repeating yourself over and over. But you never think that that you know you realize they're catching on. But like I say, it was like talking to myself. And then sometimes when we come up with somebody come up short, we come up with a problem uh, during that year of that tournament. You know, and he would uh, you know get his his temper and get up, and he'd go off. And he'd look at me, he said, you're smiling. I said, you're out, that, out less thatchering, less thatcher. I don't even have to get mad anymore. <laughs> but he had that kind of passion too, right? So That's great. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, they, uh, NXT's got a good broadcast team, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, Beth Phoenix does a great job. Who'd have thunk it? Uh, Nigel, I would have always think. And Mauro, you know, you, uh, has, has been doing this for, for ages and, and is one of the best at what he does. Um, you so know, I've I, got history with him, too. Oh, you got history with everybody. <laughs> well, but no. You quick, pretty much do. Story. You, you were talking about stories. A friend of mine in Vancouver... Uh, this was probably this was early when I first first started uh, HWA, so this would have been early '90s, I guess. Anyway, my friend in Vancouver says a young man that's a friend of mine here wants to be a wrestling play-by-play announcer. He said, "I'm going to send you a, a tape. I'd like you to you know to look at it and and you know critique it and then get back to me." So okay, so he sends me the tape, and uh, you know I check it out and I and the, I see the the guy's got possibilities and everything. So I send it back and I never hear another thing. Right. So, and then the first time I saw Murrow was on, uh, when Showtime had the, uh, MMA stuff on how many right. years ago has that been? Right. And so anyway, I was on Brian Alvarez's, uh, podcast one time on the observer figure four site. And he said, we've got to take a break. When we come back, Murrow or Ronaldo is going to join us and everything. So I'm sitting there during the break thinking, okay, uh, I'm a fan of MMA, but I'm not an expert in any way, straight performance. Okay, come up with some, you know, 
decent questions, don't act like fools, you know, so you can converse with the guy. So the minute we come back from commercial and Brian introduces him and he says, well, you know, it's great to be on here at Les because in part, he's the reason I'm here. And I'm sitting on the other end of the conversation, my mouth hanging, what the hell is he talking about? Right. But he was the guy on that videotape that my friend Vancouver sent me. Wow. I'm telling you, you have a little bit in every. I heard you. I heard you. You gave Hogan his break in the Maritimes in '75. Is that true? No. <laughs> but now Jim Dillon will tell you uh, that I had a hand in seasoning him. JJ. He's been on the podcast several times. He's a friend of the show for sure. Great guy. Um, and Scott Casey. He, he has not been on, but he's on the list. Uh, I know he just wrote a book. But um, so let's get back to you. Uh, okay. I, I, from what I see on the Internet, which is 90 percent true uh, sometimes, uh, said you fell in love with professional wrestling at an early age, I think eight years old. Um, do, you, do you remember who was who you were watching, what the wrestlers were? Or you just remember watching the action? I remember some of them. Yeah, I was. uh my first time I ever was exposed to wrestling was on a 10 inch black and white screen, uh, at a neighbor's house. We didn't even have a television at, wow. at this point in time. And, uh, it was, uh, live from music hall in Cincinnati. And, uh, some of the people that were on there at the time, Don Eagle, I have been Rasputin, uh, Lord James Blair's, um, Sandler Kovacs, and the crazy thing is a lot of the guys that, that I got a chance that bought tickets to see, I ended up getting a chance to work with later once I broke into business, you know? So, uh, yeah, well, you know, my talking about my history, uh, this July the 4th will be the 60th anniversary of my first professional match. Wow. I started when I was 19 years old. God bless you. Hey, so you you went you went off to find a trainer now we we live in a whole different world it was even back when you had the HWA it was even a whole different world but um but you know back when when you were trying to make it and find your way in the business uh, the business as you know was totally closed and it was very hard uh to get your your foot in the door how were you able to find somebody and as somebody and as a follow up question as somebody who's who's trained so many wrestlers how is the training different back then if, if at all, that it is now? 110%. If, if, if the train today to get in, if the business was still a closed shop and you had to train the way I was trained 60 years ago to get in, I guess that pretty much 50% of these guys wouldn't be in. Because it was, well, first of all, like you say, it was a closed shop. And, you know, I, I, uh, there was no high school wrestling uh, in Cincinnati, my hometown. Uh, when I, uh, when I got the, the bug, so I had to go to the YMCA. So that was my, my background, but of course still attending the matches in Cincinnati. And the big promoter at the time was Al half based out of Reynoldsburg, Ohio, out to the suburb of uh, Columbus. And it was one of the biggest territories in the country at that time. So I got to see virtually every star that was on all the televisions at some point in time. But anyway, I would, would ask a referee or ask a promoter. And of course, uh, you know, they talk around you, but you never really get an answer. So I got in the car. I was, I guess it was 17, 18 at probably at the time and, uh, went up to Reynoldsburg and knocked on the door at Al Half's office. And uh, the guy was the booker. I didn't even know what a booker was at the time. Frankie sure. Dalibur talked to me. I was, and I was about a, probably 175 pounds. 
And uh, so, you know, he said, well, kid, you need to put on some size, get some more experience. And I'm thinking, yeah, I've heard this story, right? <laughs> so I was kind of frustrated. But the old Wrestling Review magazines, which was the big newsstand publication back then, right. did a story on Tony Santos in Boston who was training aspiring young athletes wanting to get into professional wrestling. And basically, that was the first wrestling school, period. Oh, wow. Uh, so anyway, I, you know, there was all the information, had pictures of the ring and of his office, and um, so I had an address. So I wrote him. And I, in fact, I, I still have in my collection of memorabilia the trifold that he sent me back then, um, it, actually, I got the trifold in '59, and uh, telling about the place, and it was 300 bucks for six months. And uh, so, anyway, in February 1960, I got on a Greyhound bus and moved to Boston. Wow! And it was in a uh, $10 a week rooming house, working on an ice truck to supplement. Uh, well, I start to say supplement. It was the only income I had at the time, and so. Uh, my training began in February of 1960, and I had my first match July the 4th. And the young guys today, when I tell this story, their eyes get big. I, you know, I say, okay, I started my training in February of 60. I had my first match July the 4th of 60. I said, you know when they smarted me, smartened me up? July 3rd? When? <laughs> July the 4th. No, the morning of my first match. Honest. You know? I, no, yeah. I believe you. And, and, of course, you know, at night I had played – well, I'd been in, in in organized sports since I was like seven years old. Played, you know, baseball, football, basketball, et cetera, et cetera, wrestling, and um, so I was a jock, man. Hey, I was, you know, I got my ass handed to me for the first few weeks because, you know, back then, Dave, they weren't going to smarten you up until they were sure you were going to stick, right? Because you, you know, and so yeah, so in the morning of July the fourth. Uh, my room, the rooming house I lived in was just across the street from the building that the gym was in. And so, uh, Tony Santos is one of his young sons came over the house and said, dad wants to see us. So it's the first thing that goes in my mind, I've screwed, I've done something wrong. I'm right. getting called on the carpet. So anyway, uh, I go over and, and we sit down and he said, you know, uh, t you got your, your boots and your trunks and everything. I said, yeah. He said, well, today's your day. You're going to start today. Go pack your bag, come back, and we'll talk. And so now the way they, they trained us to work back then without telling us it was a work, I mean, now some of the old-timers had fun, you know, rubbing our noses in the canvas, and they'd have us work, you know, shooting with each other and right. stuff. But they'd say, okay, now, you know, nobody's getting paid. It's not a winner or a loser. But so you can learn how to apply the holes and how to go from a collar and elbow to a hold, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but put, put them on loosely so you don't hurt one another. Right. But they didn't tell us that's the way the matches were going to be. <laughs> right. And so anyway, when I came back with my bag, uh, Mr. Santos said, you know, you know how you train where you guys just, you know, don't apply a lot of pressure. And I said, yes, sir. Well, that's the way you're going to work today. So, uh, my first match was in Blue Hills, Maine at a, a fairgrounds. It was a 4th of July celebration. The ring was set up on the racetrack. And so it was four wrestlers and three matches. And the other three guys were a young uh, Boston college football player, Joe Sasso, Bull Montana, who I'd bought tickets to see, and the guy I had my very first match with, uh, Cowboy Ronnie Hill, who was an old carnival shooter. So anyway, besides talking to Mr. Santos there, 
I rode with these three guys from Boston to Blue Hills, Maine, and got my education on the road, right? That's how you and get it. So, uh, yeah, you know, from the from Bull and, and uh, Ronnie. And so uh, Ronnie and I opened the show. Uh, Bull and Joe worked the second match. And then the four of us came back, Joe and I against Bull and Ronnie in the main event. Of course, as you know, a lot of the spot shows back then were run that way. You sure. know, three matches. And if you told the kids today that those three matches filled a little over two hours, they'd look at you like you had to be nuts. Right. But, but totally, they did. But totally that, different that world. I got mis- totally different yeah, world. Oh, yeah, it sure is. But, well, you know, and then Santo, realize Santos, that, there, what you're talking about, you know, we were talking before we started broadcasting, uh, started recording about history and about different people get, kind of getting left by the wayside. That was the first ever professional wrestling school. Dusty broke in there nine years after I did. Really? Uh, yeah, Luke Luke Graham broke in there. In fact, I saw, uh, I knew Luke uh, from you know from Georgia, um, Rufus R. Jones, uh, the original beautiful Bobby Bob um, Harmon from Cincinnati broke in there. Uh, yeah, so and, and a lot of the a lot of the younger guys got a lot of uh, experience there. Worked with Pat Patterson there, Ronnie uh, Terry Garvin, uh, Ronnie Dupree, uh, guys like that. But yeah, that was the first wrestling school. Period. Yeah. That is super and cool. That's how I got my start. That's super cool. I did not know that, but that's that's something cool to, as a as a sort of a highlight in history. Hey, um, at some point you 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 had a successful career. You did a lot of tag team wrestling, I believe. Um, and uh, at some point you started doing a little color commentary. Uh, was that planned, or did, was that kind of just organic? You know, uh, my my. Uh venture into broadcasting was by accident, basically, in the same way with, with training. But I'll tell you about the broadcasting. Uh, Rudy Kay, uh, I met, uh, what first met Rudy, you know, I was working for, the, for Barnett Doyle out of Indianapolis in the early 60s. But in Charlotte in 1968, Rudy and his wife uh, lived next door to me in an apartment complex. And Rudy and I traveled the roads a lot together. And of course, you know how it is on the road in the car, you just to keep... <laughs> occupied you discuss anything and everything well that's that's and the whole thought process behind this podcast by the way is 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 if me and you were riding down the road and you know we didn't know each other very well but we had three hours to go and there were no cell phones uh and and all the radio stations didn't work you know what would we talk about and this is what we probably <laughs> right this would be you'd be telling me your story i'd be i'd be soaking it all up because that's how you learn like you said you learn from the other three guys driving to the uh to the show on july 4th so that's just that's what i that's what i kind of yeah. pattern this podcast off of well rudy opened a ter- uh, uh the maritimes right My know, wa- he and his family we had three brothers that wrestled as well uh actually the, the only one's still alive. well it's a big family from the Maritimes. They were like, I think, 15 people in the family. But uh, Ivan, the beast, is, is dead now. Uh, Rudy, of course, has passed away. And the youngest of the four brothers that wrestled, Bobby Kay, uh, just passed away recently. Leo Burke, who helped train Bret Hart, actually. Right. I think still, I think Leo still lives in Calgary. Last time I saw Leo was at a CAC. But anyway, uh, so Rudy wasn't wasn't, Bob, ter- wasn't Bobby not to interrupt you wasn't Bobby Bass married to one in the family too at some point? I don't no I don't think so because oh, I know he was married into my family so. later on. Uh, my wife is from oh, really? my, my wife is from okay. uh, Nova Scotia. So oh really? Uh, yeah, wow. Okay. Cool. Her grandfather uh, growing well, up that's was where I start. I I got my I first sat down at a microphone that's in cool. Halifax. 
Wow. But that's the story. I went up there just to wrestle, right? It was a season. Sure. Started in April and finished in, in mid-October. So the whole deal was that I was just going up there to, to work. And so um, I'd been there, gosh, I don't know, uh, maybe six weeks or whatever it was at the time. And so we wrestled in Moncton, where we lived in Moncton. It was based in Moncton on Monday night. Then Tuesday went to Halifax and wrestled, stayed over, did the TV in Halifax Wednesday morning, and then went on to St. John's, New Brunswick. But so anyway, um, over the weekend, Rudy called me and just, we just started chatting. And also he said, you remember when we were running up down the roads in the Carolinas and you mentioned that uh, you might, you, you know, might like to try uh, broadcasting when you got ready to, you know, to hang it up. And uh, I said, because I was so fascinated when I met Gordon Soley in 1967, you know, who was, God knows, the yardstick to measure us all by. Absolutely. And so I said, yeah, sure. You know, he said, well, tomorrow you get your chance. I, and now the Cormiers uh, or the K's uh, were noted for being rivers. And I'm thinking, sure. He said, you know, bring us, bring your sport coat and a tie. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to get all dressed up, show up Wednesday morning TV. And you guys are going to laugh at me. Right? <laughs> so finally he convinced me. Uh, but his announcer was originally from Toronto and had had a death in the family and had to return to Toronto. So Rudy says, I need you to fill in because I don't have anybody. And I had, other than being interviewed, Dave, I'd never, I didn't ever, never read a format or a cued in or out of a segment in my life, yeah. you know? And so that Wednesday morning was the start. And of course, for the young people today, they see that there's two guys, three guys on a desk. But back then there was only one, you right. know, but there was the announcer and nobody else. So, talk about this is like jumping in the river and not knowing how to swim right Absolutely. swim and so uh some way or another i got through it and, and obviously decent enough that after a couple of weeks rudy called me he said look he said uh, you know i want to continue to wrestle and everything but you're doing such a good job on the tv i'm gonna let the other guy stay in toronto and i'll pay you over and above uh, your you know weekly guarantee uh, to finish out the season. So oh. that's how I got my start in broadcasting. Wow. Now, was there a point like in the 70s or early 80s that you officially retired from the ring and only did commentary, or did you continue to kind of dabble in both? I uh, I wore so many hats between 1970 and 1980, I couldn't even begin to tell you. Yeah, I, I honestly, I look at my retirement at, in 1980. Uh, just near my 40th birthday. Uh, but so I got, I got 20. Well, that was the other thing too. At the end of that season in, in the Maritimes, uh, Rudy wanted me to come back the next season, help produce the television, host the television and work in the office and help uh, with the programs and this and that and not wrestle. But I mean, at the time I'd, I'd been in active in ring for 10 years and I wasn't ready to hang that up yet. Right. So I said, no, nah, I'll pass on it. And, um, so, you know, uh, that, um, but then once I came back to the States, uh, well, actually the next time I did broadcasting, uh, was in, in the Carolinas. Uh, once I came back to the States, I'd, I'd been in Nashville when I went up there, came back into Nashville for a while, then went to Tampa. And then Danny Miller and I, uh, went into the Carolinas, uh, in early 71 as the number two, uh, baby face team behind Becker and Weaver. And uh, so one day I was in the office there, and Lord Littlebrook was in, and he had been in the Maritimes as well. It was just he and I and Jim Crockett Sr. And Brooks said to Mr. Crockett, he said, why, why isn't Les on your TV? 
And Mr. Crockett looked, he said, well, less is on my team. <laughs> no, Mr. <laughs> no, Mr. Crockett, I mean, as an announcer, he said, you know, he did a heck of a job for, for Rudy up in the Maritimes. Uh, and Jim looked at me and he said, well, you never mentioned, I said, nobody ever asked me because <laughs> I it never crossed my mind. So they started working me in, uh, to some of the shows there, which that, you know, um, grew until, uh, I was, uh, you know, helping, uh, do all the, all the promos. I had hosted one of the shows. Uh, I started doing the magazine for the Crocus, and I got my own office in the, you know, my own cubicle in the office and was helping handle uh, PR and, and everything and, and all that. But, uh, and then of course, you know, in terms of broadcasting, Dave, I, I, well, in terms of my the 60 years in the business, I've been blessed to work with some of the greatest ever, but in broadcasting, I've been blessed to share microphones with Gordon Soley, Lance Russell, wow. Bob Cottle, Jim Ross, Charlie Platt, who a lot of people don't know I worked with in Dothan for Southeastern, but who Charlie was a hell of a guy, Ed Caprell. So uh, if you can't pick up some good from that crew, I don't know how the hell you can pick up anything. No, no, absolutely. And it's funny because, uh, you know, people know me pre- predominantly as a ring announcer. And that's, you know, that's what I did predominantly. But I had more, still to this day, I enjoy the production side, the logistics side of, of running a, a live event, uh, talent relations, that kind of stuff. I enjoyed that way more than I enjoyed the ring announcing is, was just a means to an end that got me in the business. Uh, so in WCW, I got to do a lot of that behind the scenes stuff. And, 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 and to me, it's 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 more I, I, to me at least I can't say for you because I was never in the ring but to me it's more uh, uh, fun than you know being out in front of a crowd. Well, you know, uh, gosh, I've just you know it's it's amazing that uh, at this age and this point in my life that I've been able to live my dream for almost sixty years. You know, and to be so involved in so many things, uh, television, uh, the wrestling itself, PR. Uh, we did a lot of things to uh, initiate a lot of firsts in, in uh, wrestling magazines with Crockett, and we did the one and only NWA magazine for the entire NWA uh, organization in the mid-'70s from there. I did the first four WWF magazines for uh, Vince Jr. Uh, back in, in uh, the late-'70s, early-'80s. Uh, and, you know, and then be able to train so many great guys. And, and uh, so, yeah, you know, it just it one thing kind of, you know, snowballed into something else. But, uh, but you know, a lot of, a lot of people say, uh, you know, you just want to do one than, rather than the other. And, I, you know, I enjoyed all of it because everything had something to do with creativity. Sure. You know, and, and that was the part that, that, that you know, kept me going. And, and I enjoyed enjoyed so much but yeah i I've, I've been blessed to have a great career and, and i've enjoyed every minute of it. so i had that and i don't think i have it anymore but i because i've been going through my stuff and selling some of it on uh on twitter and stuff but um i had that nwa magazine are you saying that's the only one that was ever not my copy but the only edition of that magazine that was ever produced yes wow you know why i'll tell you why no, tell me the promoters didn't know what to do with it Wow. Now that sounds stupid in this day and age of merchandise and everything, right? Right. But um, well, Jimmy, you know, we were doing the, the Mid Atlantic magazine, and Jimmy came back from an NWA meeting. Just Jimmy Junior. Now this is after right. his dad had passed away, 
and he came into my office. He said, I got a little project for you. And I said, okay, what? He said, we're going to do a magazine for the entire NWA organization. I said, well, yeah, I guess that's a little project. We can get something done. But with some of, you know, with some of these offices at that time, they didn't understand the value of that. Right. And so like a lot of the stories in there, I wrote for the other promote. I mean, I got the information from them, but I had to script their, their page. They send me pictures. And with some of them, you had to keep calling. Can you please send me some pictures to put this thing out? And of course, part of the deal was that Jimmy at that meeting had, uh, each, uh, NWA promotion had, you know, made a pledge that they would purchase X number of magazines to sell in their territory. But, we found out later that so many of them, they came into the office, they were packaging it, and nobody messed with them. What yeah. do you do with these? You sell them. <laughs> but back then, it was, you know, it was more just wrestling. That's, well, you know, and now you want to talk about, I've been involved in a lot of first, Dave's. I've had my, my fingerprints on a lot of history in this. That's why you're on my podcast. <laughs> but the very first ever pro wrestling t-shirt was the brainchild of yours truly and Jack and Jerry Briscoe in 1972. Wow. Tell me about that. Well, I had wanted to, you know, you, you, well, you, you know, back, back in the sixties when the, the other than white t-shirts came into, right. Everybody had some kind of printing on them and this and that. And you start seeing things in baseball and basket and so forth. And I had mentioned to a couple promoters, you know, you should, you do, T-shirts for baby faces or, or pennants. Uh, again, it was, we promote wrestling, right? It wasn't about the merchandise. I and mean, you know, back then when I was a wrestler, and even at that point, um, you sold eight by tens at a buck a piece, black and white eight by tens. And that was pretty much it, right? I mean, sure. there wasn't anything else to sell. And so nobody was really interested. So Jack and Jerry and I were sitting around uh, having a couple of adult beverage and probably a couple other things too that we'll <laughs> talk, talk about, and, and just just talking and you know shooting the breeze in general. And and I brought up you know I said I, it's kind of frustrating and you know and and I was had this idea and this and that. And Jack said, well let's do it. And I said, really? He said, yeah, we'll all kick in and you handle it. You know what you want to do. And so yeah, in fact, here's here's a commercial for you in the middle of our our conversation. Pro Wrestling Tees, you can get a copy of that T-shirt, Briscoe Boosters. Really? And it's a, it was, yeah, and the artwork was done by a young wrestler just getting his feet wet by the name of Jerry Lawler. Wow. Yeah, he did the pen and ink drawing for me for the absorbent price, David, of $25. That's a trivia, that's that a trivia question. I wish I had that piece of art today. It yeah, would be sure. worth something. But yeah, so that's uh, so we started with the T-shirts, and Jack, of course, uh, you know, was busy with uh, you know getting his championship run or getting ready to get his championship run. So Jerry and I started selling the T-shirts in the towns out of the Carolinas, and then since I was handling the uh, the magazines and the programs for Crockett, and then I was down in. Uh, Atlanta during the war in part of 63 and 64 and started the program down there. We had ads for the t-shirts in both programs. And then Norm Keitzer, who had wrestling news magazine for me to write some columns for him, he ran an ad. So, but then once, once the promoters realized, Hey, there may be some money in that they wanted a piece of our action. And of course we weren't, the uh, big businessmen, we didn't have that big a markup. In fact, 
like there were some some uh, the, the venues you know might want forty percent. We didn't bother selling those venues, right? right. And so at we finally just you know uh, we couldn't we couldn't keep up with it because we all three had a career and trying to balance it all. And the promoters, well, well we're going to let you sell them in our building. We want a piece. The building wants a piece. Everybody wants a piece, and so, but yeah, that's that was the first ever pro wrestling T-shirt. Wow, I remember that the first one I had. I think I started watching wrestling in '77. I remember I had a orange T-shirt uh, with a stick on of Mike Graham on it, because I was a Florida guy. And then I remember I became a huge fan of Bugsy McGraw when he turned babyface in 1980, and he used to wear a shirt out and the promos call, and it had on face reality was what it said. And I they didn't sell those. I actually went out to the local T-shirt place, and you know you could you, they charge that you by, iron on yeah thing. they charge you for by the uh, by the letter. And I got a, yeah. a, a face reality T-shirt. And I've talked told Bugsy the story a million times, but you know they could have sold a ton of those, you know, all all around the territory. But people just didn't think like that. It's amazing, amazing, and also the fact that uh, that you know that it was done by Lawler and and I well, I'm going to I just took a note I'm going to go on PWTs and take a look at it and then we'll we'll attach it to uh when we when we start promoting the podcast for sure cuz that's awesome. Hey, so Yeah. Let me ask go you a, let me ask you a question and and that, I didn't find this out until after we had arranged to have you on, but ironically enough um Bob Roop was on this podcast uh last and he actually was the guy who got me in the business. Uh, so it was nice to uh, kind of catch up with him because he was he was he was the guy who who brought me into WCW. But um, uh, I know that in the last year or two, him and Ron Fuller, uh, Ron unloaded on Roop and when Roop and Garvin and Orton and and Malenko uh, tried to take his territory, uh, and we're doing actually a, a debate uh, WrestleMania weekend. Uh, and you, if you're interested, ladies and gentlemen, you could go to www.wrestleexpo.com. But uh, we're doing a debate between Ron and Bob, but, who haven't seen each other in 35 years. But I was told, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you were doing color commentary during that whole situation. Is that true? I Well, uh, here again, uh, when Ron, bought, Ron and I became friends, uh, well, Bob and I became friends in Tampa in 1970. Right. Uh, and Ron and I became friends there as well. And so when Ron bought this territory, I'm, I'm, I, I currently live in Knoxville. Uh, when Ron bought the territory, he called me and he said, I just bought the Knoxville territory. I had been, I had been a top baby face here in the ter- this territory, uh, 1968, 69 and part of 70. And, uh, in fact, a couple of the venues that we drew big in back then, still, I think we still have the attendance records. Not obviously not the dollar and cent records, but sure. the attendance records. But anyway, so he said, uh, "I want you to come in and work, but I want you to produce me the best television you can, and you have carte blanche. Just build me a great TV." There again, my finger. Some of the things you see on television today that are standard had never been done in 1975. And we did them for the first time here in Southeastern Wrestling because he said, create something for me. And we did. And we uh, turned this into a hot territory. And so, yeah, I, uh, I, I was, well, between November of 74 and November of 77, I'll tell you what my weekly schedule was. I would start Monday. I was looking, I had an apartment in Charlotte. 
And, you know, worked in the office there, did uh, the tele- part of the television, wrestled a few nights a week. And then on Friday, I'd get on the plane. Uh, at the time, Pied- the Piedmont Airline, which is a regional airline, was in, in, in business. I'd, I'd jump on one of their birds, fly up here to Knoxville. Uh, Ron had picked me up. We'd uh, put our TV together. We'd I'd wrestle Friday night here in Knoxville. Saturday morning TV, Saturday night wrestling, one of the spot shows. Put me back on the bird back to Charlotte on Sunday. And that's the way I lived from, night, wow. from November 74 to November 77. So sometimes I'd pass myself in the air. Hey, Les, there you go. <laughs> but uh, so, yes. And uh, actually, Nelson Royal and I, Ron booked the territory here when he first started. Crazy thing was, when I wrestled here, John Kazan had the territory. Uh, again, I had never done television. I was on TV, and I didn't realize they never had any format here. I'm just... And the local announcer, who had a uh, was a local celebrity on TV or anyway, excuse me, Jim Hess, they just flew by the seat of their pants, right? I mean, there was no format, no timing. Wow. Uh, you know, a promo ran whatever, a match ran whatever, and they fit the commercials in. So anyway, the first when I first got here, uh, Ron picks me up at the airport, and, and we grab grab lunch, and we go out to his place and. Uh, well, first he gets me checked in a motel, and we go to his place. And I said, okay, where are the formats? Well, I don't have any formats. I said, what do you mean you don't have any formats? He said, they don't have any formats. Sounds like WCW said, okay, at so. the end. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Very organized, right? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I said, okay, give me some, give me some blank, blank eight and a half by 11 paper and a ruler. And I drew up a format, and we went out to the Kinko's or whatever, a copy place at the time, and got a bunch of copies ran off. And the next morning, we were Channel 26 here, the ABC affiliate at the time, which is where Kazana was. And then in early 75, we moved to WBIR, which is was at the time was the CBS affiliate. But anyway, we go into this TV on Saturday morning, and I start passing out formats to the sound guy and the director. They all look at me like I'm nuts because they – they never know by your your format in wrestling. Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. But a lot of things, uh, split screen, instant replay. Well, the uh, personality profile we I put in, and half the half the guys, old guys in the business, said it will never work. But I had a five minute pre taped segment in the middle of every show, which we sat down. And if it was Dave Pinzer, hey, with me today, our, our uh, play, uh, color man, Dave Pinzer. And we talk about where you went to school, your athletic background, if you had any a hobby that was, you know, special or different, or you know, in other words, we're we're selling your personality, yeah. right? We're, but but the whole idea there for me, Dave, was that wasn't being what's not being done today, for Christ's sake, that yeah. should be, but it's not. Uh, but back, you know, I'm I'm thinking, okay, what's NASCAR? You're you're you know you're like this driver because he drives race the same kind of car you own. Right. Or you follow this guy, a baseball player, because he went to college where you went. So that's all I was trying to do is tie the fans in with the people. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll give you an example for that. Uh, in 66, first time I ever wrestled in Atlanta, Garibaldi, who was one of my mentors and to me one of the greatest bookers ever of all time. Um, when I first came in, he said, I'm, uh, I want to get you interviewed on TV today. Uh, with Ed Capral, but he said, since you're not in any hot angle or anything, this whole drag racing thing, I started drag racing when I was 15 years old. I drove on a dra- uh, racetrack before I ever had a driver's license to drive on the street. 
and uh, raced was pretty successful with racing right up until I had to give it up, you know, to because I've traveling so much with with wrestling. But he said, "Is uh, you you know the drag racing not just a work, but you really?" I said, "Yeah, it's legitimate." So he said, "I'm going to have Ed ask you about that." So he said, "Do you know of any any about any national known drag racers in the Georgia area?" And of course, I did. So Ed brought it up, and I mentioned a couple of drag strips that were affiliated with National Hot Rod Association, a couple of race drivers. So anyway, we're in Augusta the next Monday, and after my match, I'm out watching the matches, and this lady comes up and says. Uh, my grandson would like to meet you and get your autographs. I said, sure. So she brought the young man. He was, I guess, 13 or 14 years old. So I signed his uh, program. We're talking, and I said, uh, oh, do you come with your grandmother every Monday night here to Bell Auditorium? And, and before he could open it, she said, it's the first time he's ever been here. Wow. She said he comes over to the house and watches wrestling with me every Saturday, but he never came uh, came here with me on Mondays before. But he heard you talking about hot rods and race cars. And he wanted to meet you. Wow. And I realized I had sold a ticket to a wrestling show because I, I like drag racing because he and I, he wanted to meet me on the drag racing thing, not because of the wrestling. And that's one of the reasons that gave me the thought of putting this personality profile together when I started doing Ron Stevie here in 74. So yeah, a lot of the stuff we did and people argued it wouldn't work. And obviously it did. And this, people started copying us. But yeah, a lot of stuff that's standardized today on television we did for the first time here at Channel 10 in 1975 and 76. Yeah, championship but wrestling. Make, you know, to get back to what you're talking about, it was a stupid war, and I'll say that. I, hey, I see, I see Roop, I, Bob, I've always gotten along with Bobby. I didn't get along with him during that war or anybody <laughs> else. I bet. Um, and I don't, and, but it, you know what? That's over, right? I mean, it's, it's not over until we have but, the great debate, though. Less. But I'll, I will tell you this, Ron's <laughs> right. Ron is right, and I'll tell you why. And I, I tell Bob if he asks. I don't, you know, when I see Bob, it, uh, I don't even bring that up. It's, it's nonsense. I don't even bother. First of all, the whole idea, he, how he got to be Booker here was because we decided he shouldn't be. Right. You know, like I said, when Ron first started, Nelson Royal and I were tagged baby face, top babyface team here. And we helped him with booking. Then Jody Hamilton came in. Then, you know, anyway, uh, we were looking at booking. We were talking about this guy or this guy or this guy. And we both had gotten along with Bob. We both realized he was, you know, sane and, uh, and understood wrestling. So we made him the book. I say we, Ron, uh, hired him as the booker. And so, but, you know, we won't even go into the whole stupid part of this. But they spent, they had a TV, but they spent more time trying to belittle us and not enough time getting themselves over a, but the reason this whole thing happened and Bob will, t if he doesn't tell you this, call me and I'll tell you, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can outrun him today. I may not be able to whip his ass, but yeah. I can outrun him. Uh, but it was Ron was, uh, Ron was, uh, skimming off the top. And my answer to that, Dave, to cut this all short and to make sense out of it, no shit. Yeah. If he wasn't taken off the top, then he's the only promoter I ever worked for that wasn't. Uh, so if that's the reason to start a war, and all it did was kill this territory. It yeah. did nothing for them. Uh, and, it, you know, and then, of course, Ron sold to Barnett, and Barnett sold to Crockett. And I was, you know, I was here through that whole, whole thing. But 
yeah, all the IWA thing did uh, was was kill the territory. It it was of no value to anybody, and at the, and from '75 up until that whole mess, this was the hottest small NWA territory in the in the in the business. Man, it was. We had top guys. We drew houses. Um, in fact, uh, the uh, municipal coliseum here. Uh, the record for a house there at one point had been the Russian hockey team against I don't even what hockey team back somewhere back in the 1950s here in uh, in Knoxville, and we we broke that record and I don't know that that our record here is uh, you know set there has ever been broken but yes it was a stupid war and they benefited not at all now I know one thing that Ronnie Garvin told me I looking at looking at each other sitting in the same room it was the dumbest thing I ever done. Really? That's interesting. Well, you know, they had been promised a piece of the action, and it was all going to be... And, and they tried to... You know, now, Ronnie uh, came to me once or twice and said, you know, we'd be interested in you jumping ship. But I started here with Ronald. He put his faith in me, and I said, I'll stay right here. And that's one thing I will also... I won't, I won't argue about talent one way or the other, uh, but I will tell you that our TV blew their ass out of the way. <laughs> it did. It did, and and and, and, and all they, the stuff and all the stuff that you uh, that you're talking about uh, where it didn't where it killed everybody. They never even released that video that exposed the business that came out last year. I don't know if and, you ever and saw. You know that. what? They, if if the stupid assholes had of, they'd have killed themselves. Yeah. at that at that point in the business. You I, know, I, I, and I, I don't. I don't even understand that. I, don't, I mean, I don't even understand that. I never saw it. I know people. Have, I said I don't want to see it. No, you don't want to see it. I uh, know. I don't yeah, want my blood pressure to get that uh, freaking high. I, I really don't. It just didn't but, make you it. Know, and then didn't they make started it. challenging yeah. guys. And I'll tell you, let me tell you a challenge story here, too. Okay. Uh, you know, they were challenged. And, of course, and I, I, again, I'm not ashamed to say they weren't challenging the guys they knew could go. Of course not. <laughs> like taking a deflated basketball because Ron's a basketball, you know, and trying to bounce it. And hey, there's Ron. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so when Mulligan bought this, I, I had been down with Ron in Pensacola uh, working down there. Um, that's where I worked with Charlie Plant. Flair called me and said, we bought Mulligan and uh, Crockett and I bought the territory from Barnett, and Channel 10 will keep us, and one of the things they asked us to do was to bring you back because they had a good relationship with you. So anyway, I said, yeah, I want to come back, I and mean, I liked it here. So <clears throat> we were in uh, the dressing room one night, Blackjack, myself, Kevin Sullivan, and the guy that handled security for us was an ex-deputy uh, sheriff here and owned a car voice by the name of Ed Hammond. And Ed, you know, everybody talked to Ed, and Ed, uh, Ed had been with uh, John Kazana before us and so forth and so on. So anyway, he came in to the dressing room that night, and he said, and I'm not going to mention the guy's name because I don't want to insult anybody, I don't pound salt or anything, but a couple of the guys, IWA guys came by the car wash and, uh, they, they said, Oh, we got new owners. I guess we need to start challenging again. <laughs> and Mulligan held his hand up. He said, Ed, stop right there. He said, everything I own is invested here. You tell them not to waste their valuable television time, uh, challenging. Just tell me where to be and what time. Of course, nobody told him where to be or what time. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. So anyway, yeah, it was a dumb, it was a dumb thing to do, and it did nothing but kill this territory, and uh, you know it never survived after that. I mean, there's been, you know, of course, Smokey did okay in here, and that was but, that's a great segue, and that's why you're a great broadcaster. 
All right. Oh, so, so send t- me a check. Yeah. <laughs> so so th- let's talk Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, uh, it's a, it was a niche organization. Jim Cornette said, "You either love them or hate them." There's no, uh, and even now on Twitter, I don't know if you're on Twitter less, but uh, it's getting bad. And uh, yeah. but but uh, tell me about working. Uh, you know, you were uh, obviously a big star in that in that area. You you booked that area. You produced. You, you seemed like you did everything. Ran the whole business. Jimmy Jimmy calls when we did the Bobby Eaton uh, uh, benefit here in de- back in December. When Jimmy introduced me, he said I was the godfather in Knoxville wrestling. <laughs> Not hardly. Uh, well, you know, I first met Jimmy here in 1978. The WFIA, Wrestling Fans International Association, this is back when fan clubs right. were in vogue, right? And the WFIA had a convention every year in a different wrestling city. In other words, like in, if it was the Kansas City Territory, they had it in Kansas City. Or, uh, Atlanta, they had it in the city where the home office was. Right. And so in 70, uh, in 78, they had it here and, uh, Jimmy and Eddie Gilbert were here as fans. In fact, Jimmy won uh, best action photo by a fan award. I used to tease him about it. And, uh, but anyway, that's, that's how long I've known Jimmy. But anyway, when, uh, he wanted, I was going originally going to be the, uh, the lead broadcast, uh, lead announcer here to start with, but I. I was so involved with bodybuilding at the time, not only competing, but training bodybuilders. I just couldn't get away when they first contacted me to come in. But then when uh, I, I subbed a couple times when Bob got sick and Dutch, uh, different things, you know, and I'd come in and do a couple days. And then finally, you know, I came in, I came in for Jimmy full time. But you know what I say about Jimmy? And I, I know, yes, I am on Twitter. And I say, you know, pay no attention to how Jimmy tells you things. Pay attention to what he tells you, because nine out of ten times, he is exactly right. I said, that's one of the most fertile minds about this business that's still above ground. And yes, his, his you know, my passion is probably as strong as his. It's just I don't verbalize quite as well as he does. Uh, but I love Jim. I mean, I've never had a, you know, we were talking about this at, at the Eaton thing back in December uh, with uh, Gary Michael Capetta. And I said, you know, people say, Jimmy, I said, Jimmy's never yelled at me, but I think that's more out of respect, you know, because, you know, that was one of the things that we were taught back in the day that nobody teaches now is respect the guys who laid the path down for you. Absolutely. And um, so, but I, you know, I, I, but you know what I've said, they've said, you work for Ole, you work for Bill Watts, you work with Jimmy uh, Cornette, they all scream. I said, you know how to keep them from yelling at you? Do what they ask you to do. Exactly. It's that simple. Right? Do your job, and nobody's going to yell at you. But I, I, I have a good relationship with Jimmy. Yeah, um, that's. Uh, it was funny. Gary Capetta put on uh, social media that he was booked for that, and I, you know, I traveled on and off with Bobby and Arn and and, and Pee Wee Rest of Soul for uh, for years in WCW, and so I, I I wrote back on Facebook and I wrote, "That's the only booking I've ever been jealous not to have." You know, because I would I would have probably gone up there for free, but I wasn't telling anybody uh, uh, if if I was in driving distance, I would have gone anyway, because I love Bobby and uh, and would have loved to have paid tribute to him. But, uh, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy has a, a great eye for detail, but I'll, I'll, give, I'll tell you a quick story where he had no where he, he slipped. Sure. Um, have you ever seen the, uh, the bluegrass brawl from um, Pikeville, Kentucky, the, the tape? 
I've heard about it, and uh, if you okay. were, if you were my if you filled me in with the details, I might have. Well, seen. anyway, uh, Lance Russell and I uh, did the broadcast, and the main event was God. Don't ask me to tell you what all the guys were, but it was the Rock and Roll Express, and you mentioned Arn. He was here for that. Bobby Eaton was in. Uh, and uh, Tracy, and anyway, it was like uh, an eight-man tag or, or something like that was the main event. And we had no monitors because, uh, you know, production crew had come in from down here. And so Lance and I didn't uh, didn't have monitors. Oh, geez. So anyway, we're, we're you know, we're, we're going, we're, everything's fine up to the main event. And we got these eight guys, and all of a sudden I see Lance writing something on, on the back of a format, and he shoves it over to me. He said, who's going over. And I wrote down, didn't Jimmy tell you? And I shoved it back. <laughs> and he said, he wrote no and shoved it back to me. So, so here we got eight guys, you know, all getting involved in this. And we don't know what the hell we're calling because we can't, we have no monitor, right? We don't know if they're following everything. So we, that was Jimmy's, that was Jimmy's screw up. But anyway, what we did for that, after the building was cleared out, we we uh, stood in front of a monitor and, and called the last couple of minutes over, redubbed the voiceover the, to get it right. But uh, yeah, Talking about I, flying blind, I mean, you got eight guys out there that are bowling. You might have an ISO camera on somebody, and you're, you're calling something totally different. Exactly. Exactly. That's crazy. Exactly. But we wanted to be sure to call the finish right, yet we didn't know what the hell the finish was. <laughs> so so even a genius like Cornette screws up once in a while, huh? We all do. It's called human nature. Exactly. <laughs> hey, I talked to you a little bit before we went, we recorded this. Um, with the, the hustle and bustle of, of the uh, Twitter and social media and 24-hour news um, cycles, uh, I feel like uh, there's a guy that uh, who's, who's really made an impact on me in the business uh, in a personal way, and I know did with you too. Speaking of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, who who I don't want to say doesn't get his due, but I just I, I wish like somebody would write a book about him or something because he was such a genuine guy who loved the pro wrestling business. Uh, I'm talking about Brian Hildebrand, um, and uh, who who Mark was Curtis. yeah Mark Curtis, Doctor Mark Curtis. Uh, talk, talk 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 to me about Brian. Brian unfortunately passed away. Way too young from uh, cancer. He beat the first battle and then uh, couldn't beat the second one. But um, it, yeah. it's just somebody yeah. that Great. was just, loved, just somebody that was a special death. special guy, man. Yes, he absolutely was. So for absolutely people was. for people and, who and may have a referee, yeah, a hell of a referee. For people who might have uh, who, who who might have heard a little about him, remember him from Nitro, uh, but uh, but but didn't know Brian. Just tell us a little bit about your memories of of of, of what made him special. Well, you know, he was, he, you know, talking about loving this business. I know Jericho mentioned, he said, Brian can watch the worst match I've ever seen in my life and find something good about it. Right. But a lot of, you know, the funny thing is a bunch of the guys, uh, I remember at, at the funeral, uh, one of the kids that trained with me had come up for the funeral uh, with me. And I said to him later, I said, do you realize that a bunch of us that are here that we're all friends now are friends because Brian, we all gravitated, but it was like this. If I had never met you and Brian said, Les, when you meet Dave Pinzer, you're going to like him. I never questioned that. If Brian I, think that him, I actually I think that's him. how I met you is through Brian. It might've been, it might've been, but yeah. Um, and you know what? He was a damn good little, never mind as a referee. Uh, when I was, uh, he came up, he and Pam, his wife came up, uh, 
to northern Kentucky, just across the river from Cincinnati, for one of my early HWA shows, and actually just to sell some gimmicks and stuff. Anyway, I had somebody didn't show up, and he said, I've got my Ninja Turtle gimmick, and, yeah, and Ninja anybody that knows me it's <laughs> listened to this podcast will say, Thatcher doesn't like that shit. No, they'd be right, I don't. But in a in a spot bad spot you you know any any uh, cover in a storm right it's yeah. any port in a storm anyway uh, he said I got my he said I can work well the guy he was going to have to work with was like six three right and about two sixty oh jeez and when I told the kid I said you're working with Brian he looked at me like are you nuts <laughs> they went out there and had a hell of a match and when they came back they, they, when they came back the kids the kid uh, Brian he said. My God, he can really work. And I said, yeah, it's just he doesn't have the size. Of course, today, somebody made him a champion, wasn't they? Uh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> uh, but any, Wait, but anyway, it? yeah, he was, he, was, he was my dear. And, at, you know, a bunch of us spoke at the funeral. Uh, Mick Foley, myself, I think Al Snow spoke, uh, Jericho. But uh, one of the things I said, uh, why, why did I love uh, Mark Curtis, Brian Hildebrand. Well, nobody else had ever named a cat after me. He named <laughs> one of his cats Thatcher. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so, when, actually, I don't but, know if you were there, but one of the coolest things I ever got to be a part of, we totally surprised him, uh, was the WCW house show that we uh, turned into Brian. I was uh, here. Hilde- yeah, yeah, I thought you were. Appreciation night, and we brought, yeah. uh, just to show how how much this guy was admired, Mike Tanay and Bobby Heenan, who were never at book for house shows, actually drove up from Atlanta because they wanted to come out and pay their appreciation. Flair, who wasn't and booked Flair on the gave show, him a, gave him of the NWA belt. He right? was, yeah, Flair wasn't even booked on the show. And then uh, they did a deal, I think it was Eddie and Jericho against Benoit and Dean, and uh, the ref got knocked yeah. out, and he got to come in and count it, and then they all posed. One of the most special things I ever got to be a part of, also, you know, the Pillman shows were the same thing, but Pillman had already passed, and yeah, it was important. Let me stop you right there and say thank you for your involvement there, because people that didn't come never could have known how great those shows were, but what they need to know is everybody that worked those shows worked for free. Absolutely. That's, that was a great thing. And Ric Flair doesn't go very thing. many places for free. And Bobby Heenan doesn't drive four hours both ways for, 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 for many people. Uh, God bless Bobby. So, uh, so yeah, uh, that, that just, that, that was a uh, heartfelt and, um, I just, uh, well, which, what years were you at the Pillman? Which we did four, which years were you? At? I believe I was at the first two. 98 and 99. I believe that would have been it. Cincinnati Garden was 99 because that's the one I was going to tell you a story about. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, you know, first of all, you know, we talked Brian and stomach cancer. And so I was uh, running a training class. Brian Hildebrand, and, not Brian Pillman. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Hildebrand. I was running a training class. And uh, one of the kids came in and said, uh, Pam, Pam Hildebrand's on the phone for you. And, I'm, of course, I'm figuring it's probably the worst. But. Uh, so I said, okay, guys, take a break. I'll be right back. And so she said, I just want to get, this was just a few weeks before that particular Pillman show in 99. And he was supposed to, it was going to be Conan and Ray Ray against, uh, Malenko and Benoit in the main event. And, uh, so, and Brian, of course, wanted to referee it. And of course I was going to let him. So anyway, uh, I got to the phone and Pam says, Brian wanted me to call you and tell you that not to worry uh, his weight's dropping a little bit. We're going to take him to the hospital. They're going to try to, you know, get his weight back up. And he's in the back. He's in the background. 
Pam, you tell him I'll be at that show. I'm not missing that show. I said, Pam, you tell that little bitch to go to the hospital and get well. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind the show. So anyway, uh, because he was weaker, I just I made the decision. I said. Uh, I want him to uh, referee Terry Taylor and Dr. Tom because I knew it would be a slower pace match, right? right. Uh, not that it wouldn't be a good match, but I didn't, you know, I knew I knew what the Malenko, Benoit, Ray Ray, and, and Conan was going to exactly. be. So anyway, he refereed uh, Terry and, and Doc. And so I, I, at that year, I was doing the ring announcing. And so anyway, I went out uh, to do the ring announcing, and here comes Mark Curtis. I think, what the hell is he coming out here for? So he gets in the ring, and I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to referee. I said, are you going to be all right? You going to stay out here, he said. I said, yeah. He said, well, if I'm not, you can carry me to the back. Wow. And that was that was Mark, you know. I mean, he wanted to be a part of the damn business. I mean, he was going to, you know. Uh, and he so he referee. He refer, well, I remember we went. Uh, were you, you were in uh, – Ross Draver in, uh, up by Pittsburgh when we did that too, weren't you? Yes, sir. Yeah, because I remember I, that. I one. still have. I saw. I've been. I've been uh, cleaning out my closet, and I've. I've found T-shirts for the two uh, Mark Hildebrand uh, yeah. shows that we did, and for some of the Pillman stuff. And I have a. I have a, a photo of one of the Pillman shows beforehand. Everybody in the ring together. I think I'm standing right. next to Bill Demott, but. Uh, Right. Okay. The Demont. That would have been. That would have been the last one. I. Yeah. That would have okay. been the one. He. He and Mark Henry worked. That would have been, uh, two thousand and one. Yeah. No. Wait a minute. Two. Uh, yeah. We did 99, 98, 99, 2000, 2001. That was two thousand and one. I remember when I was there. I split duties with um, uh, uh. God. Now I'm, I can't think of his name. He was the ECW. Uh, From New York. Yeah. yeah Damn yeah. it. I can't either. We're both having a senior. I can moment, see. Aren't I we? can see his face, but uh. Me well, too. Nice it'll, guy. It'll come, yeah, he's a talent agent, actually, uh, in New York City. Yeah, yeah. That's his main yeah, job. Yeah, Broadway DeSan- and stuff like that. I want to say DeSantis? No. Uh, no. Damn it, I can't think of it either. All right, I'll figure He's on it. Facebook, too. Yeah. Oh, is he? Yeah. I'll have to look him but, up. Uh, so, so, yeah. yeah Bri- Bri- go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just telling you, that's the I one I did. I was going to say, you, you, I'm old. I, I, that's my excuse for everything. I'm old. I forgot what I was going to say. So let me ask you a question. If Brian Hildebrand had uh, survived, what, what, do, what do you think he'd be doing in this business right now? You think he'd be like running, you know, a major company? Because, I mean, between his passion and his intelligence, uh, he could the sky was the limit for him. Yeah, he could, yeah, he could have. He would still be involved in some manner, I'm sure. Of course, politics may, you know, you know, you as well as I know the stupidity of the politics in this business and, and people being in positions they shouldn't be in and people that should be in those positions aren't and so forth and so on. I don't know. But, you know, yeah, he would have. Uh, well, I'll tell you one thing. You know, I tell kids now that uh, you go to some of these indie shows uh, and you watch some of these referees and you think, what the hell are they doing or what or what they do even know why they're in there. I, I tell a lot of young referees, I said, anything you can find on tape of Mark Curtis, you watch it. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. And, uh, of course, yeah, yeah. Charles Robinson's a hell of a referee. I mean, there's good referees today at the upper levels. But uh, on the indie shows, for the most part, there's a lot of guys just stay in the corner and collect a paycheck. But uh, Mark was one of the damn best. There's no two ways about that. Yeah, I really miss him. And, but, you uh, know, that Ross, that Ross Draver thing – that was just that was just a few months before he passed. 
And that night in the bar at the hotel, Eddie Guerrero, Benoit, Nancy, uh, myself, uh, you know, every, but he, he was sitting there with Pam and he was making plans for Pam and him to do something with, uh, with Chris and Nancy. And he was making, telling me we're going to do this and do that. And Eddie and, and, uh, Chris and my, we're all sitting there trying to keep the tears from coming out because we realized it's never going to happen. Right. But he was so positive he was going to make it, you know, and, uh, yeah. Just a, a wonderful guy. I think about him all the time, yeah. and I'm sure you do. I, do I, I think anybody that was a friend of his, Dave, you can't help but remember him, can you? Yeah, he made a he made a mark on everybody he came around, and a fantastic guy. Stephen DeAngelis, by the way, was the ring announcer from ECW. That's it, exactly. <laughs> Stephen DeAngelis, absolutely. Thank God absolutely. for thank God for Google. So so so, Les, what are you, what are you up to now? You sound great, so I'm sure you're in great shape and and still uh, keeping busy. Well. Um, I uh, st- still, uh, you know, I'm still capable of uh, training people. I do. I-, I book myself out for weekend training camps wow. or uh, or seminars, uh, <clears throat> and I'm available for that. And uh, if someone's interested, they can reach me less thatcher28 at gmail dot com or less at epwt dot com. Either one. And I'd be more than happy to send them out the information that they'd be interested. I'll tell you where I'm going to be with a bunch of uh, good guys uh, March the 14th. We'll be, uh, believe it or not, I'm, I'm going home to Ohio, Circleville, Ohio, at the Fairgrounds Heritage Center there. It's called the Reunion in, in Roundtown. And Bobby Fulton's putting this thing I on. saw the poster. It's, uh, yeah. And everybody, I, I'm looking forward just to running into everybody I haven't seen in years, for Christ's sake. And uh, you I know, saw the that's, poster. That's I think I think yeah. Wyndham and JJ and Arn and Tully are going to be there, and uh, Rock and Roll and Midnight, uh, Papa Shango that's... and uh, the Godfather and uh, Road Warrior Animal. Hey, and uh, let's get me booked. Let, get me booked on that. I'll give you a piece of the action. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for a vendor. Bobby didn't book me. Uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm going up with a I'm vendor. Just playing. I'm just playing. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I'm having a hard enough time getting work for me, bud. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I I just hey I I would just want to be there to sit in the bar and and and, and tell stories for uh. That's I the, was thinking, this, yeah, yeah. So this is the best part. So so yeah. So guys, Les Thatcher twenty eight at gmail We'll post that link uh, when we post the podcast because um, just from sitting and talking to you for an hour, it's amazing. Uh, not only what you've done in this business, but what you've what, 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 the first that you've been a part of in this business, so many firsts and so many people that you've worked with, and uh, and 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 you're such well, so well spoken and such a nice guy, and uh, great talking to you, and uh, hopefully we could, uh, I'd love to see you sometime down the road, but good health and uh, thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. It's fascinating, David. Th- thank you for having me. I've enjoyed uh, catching up with you, and uh, you want to do it again at some point? Just let me know. I'd be happy to do it, and. Uh, You take care of yourself. God bless you, my friend. Absolutely. You too. So many cool stories, so many firsts that I didn't even have any clue about. Uh, But listening to Les Thatcher, who has an incredible mind for this business, as you probably figured out, if you want to book him for a seminar, you could uh, reach him at lesthatcher28 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, and he said he's on Twitter. So I got to go find him on Twitter after we are done with this podcast. But um, a great guy, great mind, 
hell of a trainer. Um, just, a, you know, hey, you think about it, it's pretty much the total package. Wrestler, producer, booker, announcer, promotion PR guy. Uh, it's it's kind of if you if you if you take the the wrestler out of it it's kind of everything i've wanted to do in this business but didn't really get a chance to because wcw got sold when it did and but i was i was kind of on my way uh so want to thank Les and uh good stuff from him and you can follow him on twitter and facebook as well and um you can follow me on Twitter at David Penzer, all one word, at David Penzer, all one word. Uh, if you like this podcast, be sure to spread the word. Tell your friends and family. Uh, be sure to leave a review if you can. And we've had a few people that have like been, you know, I, my son last summer binge watched like eight years of Oz, the television series that was on HBO. And that's the new thing now is you binge watch. You know, I remember waiting every, I'm going to date myself again, but I, this is, this is not as much dated though, Jerry's welcome back Cotter. Um, but I remember having to wait every, every week. I think it was Saturdays or Sundays for Oz. And if you never saw Oz, Google it. Uh, amazing. Um, amazing uh, uh television show before it's ahead of its time and uh my sister's actually very good friends with uh lee turgeson who was one of the main characters but uh, which is kind of cool but um but yeah well you had to wait because every week would be the you know it would, it, uh, it would go off there you know with this incredible uh story that you wanted the answer to and you had to wait a week but now you know you don't have to wait anymore it's uh it's the ultimate in uh in taking it all uh in in one sitting or one weekend i think my son watched all the seasons in like one weekend he just sat in his room and binge watched Oz. the reason i bring that up and i go i'm sorry i'm rambling today uh as opposed to any other day but uh the reason i bring that up is we've had some people that have communicated via twitter that are kind of binge listening to uh the archives of this podcast and have been sending me positive feedbacks about uh, feedback about the interviews they like. If you are a newer listener and you enjoy this podcast, I would uh, urge you to check out the archives on wherever you get sitting ringside each and every week. And um, it's a who's who of professional wrestling. We have referees, we have women wrestlers, we have legends, we have uh, behind the scenes people. Uh, it really is a who's who and we're going to keep putting out uh, great episodes each and every week. But if you are not a longtime listener and you got some time after you're done binge watching, binge watching Oz, now because I told you about it, uh, go back to the archives and check out some of the episodes. I think you will enjoy them. Until next time, this is David Penzer, still City Ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while 
means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. Radio Influence.